Lord, we come to you this morning grateful that we can gather together as your people and to continue to look into these post-resurrection appearances and what we can learn from them has great meaning for our lives today. We pray that would be the reality for each and every one of us as we walk from here this morning. That you would take our minds, think through them. You would take my lips and speak through them. That you would take our wills and bend them to yours. And that you would take every single one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Jake and Stan grew up in eastern Minnesota together. They went hunting and fishing together. They, they did sports together. And they, they loved one another genuinely. The, the, the big difference was that Jake absolutely lived for hunting and fishing. I mean, just lived for it, you know. And Stan, although he really enjoyed to go hunting and fishing, as a Christian, he felt like, you know, well, it's the Lord's day. I can go afterwards, you know. And so he, he, his relationship with the Lord was primary. And it wasn't the same case for Jake, you know. Christmas, maybe. Easter, maybe. If Easter was early, he'd definitely go, you know, because it's Minnesota and fishing's all not that great. Mother's Day, you know, because mom wanted him to. You know, he might show up, but he, he wasn't interested in the Bible, really, you know. He wasn't interested in prayer. He, you know, he just, church. Stan, on the other hand, after they both graduated from the University of Minnesota, the Golden Gophers, uh, they, Stan, went on and got a degree in philosophy of religion, uh, went on to get his Master of Divinity, went on to get his doctorate, and was teaching theology at a seminary in Texas. But every summer he came home to gather up with his friends and his family and just would spend at least a few weeks back in the old homestead of eastern Minnesota where he would go fishing. And all of a sudden, Jake started to notice something really funny about Stan. He would go out real early in the morning, and he'd come back with a cooler full of fish long before the other fishermen came off the lake. Now, Jake had become a Minnesota game warden because he loved hunting and fishing so much. And so his old buddy, he just goes, he walked up to him, how in the world that every day you go fishing, you come back with a cooler load of fish? And people, you, you don't, you're only out there for a couple hours, and these guys are out there all day and don't get all the fish you do. What's up? Well, like, if you're a fisherman, you know, you don't give up your secrets, you know? And Stan goes, do you really want to know? He said, yeah. He goes, well, meet me tomorrow morning at 4.30, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you. So he meets him there at 4.30 in the morning. They fire up the 12-horsepower Evinrude and quietly just go out, way out on the lake. There's no cabins. There's nothing there but the Minnesota moose and the loons. Nobody's there. Now, now, Jake picked up on something when he realized that Stan didn't have any fishing tackle, didn't have a rod, didn't have a thing, just a backpack and some water and a cooler full of ice ready to go. So they turned the engine off, plunked out the anchor, and he sat there until the sun came up, and then all of a sudden he pulled out two sticks of dynamite, lit them, Kaboom! Off they went, up came the fish. 
It was a beautiful thing. Pulled out his net, started to rope him in, and Jake went ballistic. What are you doing? That is illegal. You can't do that. This is the last time you're going to do this, buddy. There's no way you continue. Stan just calmly reaches in, pulls out a stick of dynamite, lights it, tosses it in his lap, and says, you going to quit griping or shut up and fish? Mm. Mm. This is a fishing story we're in today, you know, and you know, I was with some fishermen this week. Uh, I bring you greetings from Emmanuel Anglican Church in Chicago. Aaron Damiani, you know, he, he, they're getting younger every day, you know, is the rector there uh, doing a faithful work downtown Chicago up toward the north side. Um, got to get to know Aaron while I was there this week, and uh, as we labored in equipping fishermen and women for the gospel in our day. And it was a delight to serve with him, as well as the leaders of the group at the Simeon Trust Workshop, which I go to every year. I try to. David Helm of Holy Trinity Church in Hyde Park was the leader, along with Josh Moody from College Church. And it was a great delight, because the Simeon Trust is intentionally trying to get out and make sure that this is not a white Anglo-Saxon movement. And so uh, the pastor from Lilydale Progressive Baptist Church in downtown Chicago. Progressive is not what you're thinking. It was named that 150 years ago, where it meant something different than it means politically today. And Pastor Ramel Williams, an African-American, just did a phenomenal job teaching us how to preach God's word well to God's people. The quote of the week came from Ramel Williams. He was preaching about how to make sure you always take God's people to Jesus and getting Jesus from the text. And that can be a challenge at times. And he said, while you're swimming in the water of the text, brothers, you need to know as you're swimming and you come up for air and you haven't found Jesus, you came up too early. You know? (laughs) Just gold. Gold statements like that. And so... It was, it was a delight. I thank you for your prayers, and it was a great week. But in one sense, we're all fishermen and women. And my job is to equip you well. And so we're in this series as in, called Encounters with the Risen Jesus this Easter season. We've seen on Easter Sunday the glory of the resurrection when the women discovered that the tomb was empty, where Jesus met them. We saw Jesus meet Peter and John. We saw Jesus meet with all the disciples in the upper room. And a week later, with Thomas. We saw on the eve of Resurrection Sunday, where Jesus met with the Emmaus Road disciples. We took a break last week when Pastor Dave, wasn't that great, just having Dave with us last week, just talking about something to celebrate. That we hold in common the belief of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, through the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. Just just great stuff. I appreciate all that he does and the partnership that we have with him. And so today we're going to return to John's biography. I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. Because there's great lessons for our lives today in this picture that John gives us. Um, We're going to return to John's biography because there's some dynamite here. Absolute dynamite. And for, for you Jakes that are out there, and perhaps a few of you stands as well, 
For this gives us a picture of the risen Jesus. You can find it. If you don't have your Bible with you, you can find it in the back of the bulletin. He's standing on the beach by the Sea of Tiberias. That's, we know it better as the Sea of Galilee. Tiberias is the Gentile name for the lake. All right? And so what we see is the risen Jesus, he's interested in these guys. He's caring about these guys. He's directing these guys. He's blessing the work of these obedient servants. And what we learn is that he does the same for us today in 2017. As he cares about us and calling us to a task. He cares about us and teaching us a valuable lesson. He cares about us and calling us to faithfulness. And he cares about us by giving us a great reward. That's what we're going to see this morning. And it really could be, you could insert us corporately and individually. Just enter your name. It's the church's task. It's Christ church's task. It's Bob's task, whatever it might be. It's Christ church's task, Christ church's lesson, Christ church's faithfulness, call to faithfulness, and Christ church's reward. That's what we're going to see. So first, let's look at our primary task as followers of Jesus. It starts with these beautiful opening scenes in verses 1 and 2. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way, and then he lists the name of the disciples who are there. I'm sure by this time, the whirlwind, you know, these guys were still processing all this. Think about it. We don't know where they are between, you know, the, the Emmaus Road account and the Ascension. We're not quite sure where this is. We just said, after this is all John tells us. But think about experiencing that, that Passover week. The horrifying crucifixion. The dead silence of the day afterward. The exhilaration of Resurrection Sunday. Them hiding in the upper room. And all the various appearances of the risen Lord. I'm sure on this 80-mile walk from Jerusalem to Tiberias, 80 miles, people, okay? It took a while for them to get there. They're still just connecting the dots, processing it all in. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're putting two and two together. Do you remember when our Lord said this? Don't you get it now? Those types of conversation, and all pointing themselves back to the reality of the Scriptures. They're just... You know, they needed some familiar sights, and so they just got out of Dodge and went home to Galilee. And I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, well, what, what are we going to do now? Uh, when's he going to appear again? Uh, what's he going to say to us next? You know, now it's, it's, it's certain to know that at this stage of John's biography, uh, Jesus is in heaven. He's with the Father. Because that's what he said to Mary when she saw him in the tomb. Do not hold on to me, Mary, for I have not yet returned to the Father. But then a week later, when Thomas appears, what does he say to Thomas? Touch me, Thomas. He had ascended to the Father. So in 2027 of John's Gospel, he wasn't, he wasn't hiding behind some Judean rock. All right? He's ascending and descending as he pleases, because he is God and he is Lord. And he was ready to illustrate his earthly ministry now to us, his church. And so, as usual, 
Peter's inability to sit still sets the stage. So there they are by the sea. I'm sure they're, they're walking, they're hearing the lapping of the water. You know, you ever gone by a lake and you smell the water, a distinct smell? It's beautiful, you know? I'm sure Peter just says, I'm going fishing. And so they go, we're with you. So evening was the best time to go. So at dusk, after gathering all their provisions, the whole group of them, seven of them, left the shore with an honest joy of their old profession. You've heard the saying, you never forget to ride a bike. It's true. Professional fishermen, whatever trade or skill you're in, it doesn't take long to get right back in the rhythm when you've done it for so long. You know the details of the trade. So I'm sure they're just experiencing this great camaraderie as they get out there on the lake. The, the million stars of the nighttime sky. The, the hearing of the water lapping up against the boat. The, the, just the wonderful camaraderie that they're experiencing all night long. There's one problem. They're not catching a thing. And I'm sure the conversation dwindled except for Peter's incessant talking and talking and talking, you know, about politics, the, the overfishing on the lake, these inferior nets that they gave us, the, those lazy landlubbers out there, and the days when he was a kid when you had to walk to school both ways uphill, you know. Well, like many fishing trips, like you and I have been on, they weren't catching a thing. And this is a picture for us, dear ladies and gentlemen, of our ministry toil in the good news of the gospel. The fact that the church would spread in this region like wildfire soon. You know, it's, the, it's near the Sea of Galilee, which is in an area of Gentiles. It's a great picture for us, this tiny boat out among the vast numbers is important to our spiritual health. And the fact is that our primary obligation of believers is to get equipped and to know and to go out and do evangelism. The apostles wanted to go fishing, but clearly this is what John wants us to see. Why? Because in Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. See, followers of Jesus are fishermen. It's, it's an often used metaphor for sharing the good news of the gospel. And evangelism is the most prominent ministry of the church. And should never, ever take a back seat to other programs. Yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's much different than it was than even 10 years ago when I first arrived here. But the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, it's the primary ministry that each and every one of us care, have, as we depart from this place today. And not only is it a picture of our evangelism, it's a picture of the hard work of that type of ministry. It's exhausting. It's time-consuming. I've never, I can remember ever a person, after me talking to them about Jesus, seeing them come to faith right then. Ever. And now, in our culture, it's even longer, it seems. But I think it's a good story that informs us that without Jesus, we can do nothing. These guys 
were professional fishermen, and they were coming up with nothing. And we, too, can get equipped. We can know everything to say. We can take Express Your Faith, Evangelism Explosion, go to apologetics training and learn how to share our faith. But the reality is Jesus has been teaching throughout John's Gospel, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. It's so easy to think we can do our ministry on our own, especially as we share the good news with others. It's easy to get busy with ministry and tasks, but we do such work in our own strength, we're going to come up with nothing. You can witness and accomplish nothing. You can donate hundreds of dollars and accomplish nothing. You can preach and accomplish nothing. Christ Church's primary task is to share the good news of Jesus with our neighbors where we live, work, and play. And it's hard work. And it's time-consuming. And it's totally dependent upon Jesus. That's point number one. It's a critical lesson for us all. The second lesson is that no matter where we are, Jesus is with us as we endure. The sun's beginning to rise. They're tired. They're heading home. They were not thinking about Jesus. They were ready to just get something to eat and take a rest, probably. But Jesus was watching them. Jesus knew what they had endured And he had seen everything. Look at verse 4 with me. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It's interesting that they didn't know it was Jesus. It's 100 yards or so. Uh, It could have been like the Emmaus Road disciples. Bishop Ryle said this in his commentary, that maybe Jesus slightly changed his appearance. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And just kind of hide himself from them for a while. Maybe he did that. Maybe just 100 yards, just couldn't recognize him. Or maybe the, the fog coming off the early morning lake kind of shielded hid their view to him. We don't know why, but they didn't know it was Jesus. And they hear this unrecognizable character yell out at them, Children, do you have any fish? And what did they answer? No. What fisherman do you know that ever admits they didn't catch anything? I admit he was this big, you know, but he got away. <laughs> right? Right? We all, you've done it. Yeah. yeah all you, we, we, we've done it, right? Fishermen are two types. If you catch a lot of fish, you don't tell people where you've been because you don't want your area fished out. If you didn't catch anything, you say, yeah, nah, yeah. It got away. But these guys admitted that it hadn't caught a thing. They acknowledged the truth. They acknowledged their failure. Malcolm Muggeridge had said that failure is the most creative phenomenon of life. And that is so true. If we do not fail, we could never make any progress. Failure demands that we assess our past methods to see what we've done right and wrong and opens us up to new ideas and new thinking. It's not an excuse for poor planning. It's not ready, fire, aim, like so many organizations tend to do. But some of the greatest stories that we know of 
are from repeated failures. Abraham Lincoln didn't win an election until he won the presidency. Can you imagine that today? Keep running, lose. Keep running, lose. Keep running, lose. Keep running, lose. He ran for president and won. <laughs> oh, one of our greatest presidents ever. Thomas Edison, thousands of times, so he came up with the light bulb. Muggeridge continues, Christianity from Golgotha onwards has been the sanctification of failure. So when I do the welcome every week, for all of you who have struggled in your walk with Jesus this week, maybe you've failed in some of the disciplines, failed and yet opportunities to do something he didn't and you know you should have. This is a story for each and every one of us. Our failures bring us face to face with the weaknesses and inadequacies that lie within us so that God's strength can be made perfect in our weakness. Paul wrote in the 2 Corinthians reading this morning, we have this, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's where, exactly where God wants us. Clay pots and clay jars were, were like buying your, your, your Christmas china at a garage sale. You know? You know, just some cheap things you get at Giant Eagle, you know, to get you started on your way, right? They're cheap. You, you put them up to light, you can see right through them, and it's not bone china. I mean, you, you, slap, you break it, you don't miss it. You're not sorry. They're expendable. But Paul is saying in that statement that it's in our weakness, Christ shines. In our failures, Christ can use them. Jesus knew the disciples hadn't caught a thing. It was important that they came to the place where they would admit it. That is what Jesus sanctified. Failure can be the most creative thing in the life, especially for a believer. So that's the reality is Jesus is with us. And he knows us and he knows our failures and calls us to keep going. Third, we see the church's Christ Church's faithfulness call. Verses 6 through 8. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Isn't that great? You know? They simply obey. Now, these, some of these guys are professional fishermen. And they've been fishing all night. What would you have done? Some yahoo on the shore says... Throw the net on the other side of the boat. You know, I got my fish finder. You know, I got all the, the bells and whistles on my bass tracker. You know, and now you're telling me to toss my net, my line, on this side of the boat. Right. But they'd been here before. And they were, they were, they were softened. They were more humble. And so they did. And then it was so full of fish they couldn't haul it in, the text says. And so, as normal, John goes into this Peter and John dialogue that we've seen over these past couple chapters that are just so hilarious, you know. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And Peter, being a little impulsive, 
just puts his cloak on and jumps in and swims to the shore. Now, if I'm one of those disciples, we're trying to haul it in, and the dude just, just jumps in, you know, where are you going, dude? But that's Peter. And, J- Peter and John has just said, hey, this is Jesus, guys. All right, let's go. I want you to notice, too, uh, later on in verse 11, you notice there's 153 fish. You only see that detail in the Bible, in ancient literature. Only the Bible. Why do you think that is? Because John and the other gospel writers wanted to communicate accuracy for the readers. All right? You're not going to find that accuracy and that detail in ancient literature anywhere. Read Homer, if you dare. You know, the Odyssey and the Iliad doesn't have that type of detail in it. It didn't, detail like that really didn't come in until the 17th, 18th, 19th centuries. It speaks to the Bible's clarity and accuracy for the reader. And it's a wonderful picture, ladies and gentlemen, of our lives and our ministry that amid the toil on the sea of life, Jesus, we're called to it, and he's with us and knows us, but it's in his timing, and it's his strength, and it's his way. All right? We've been fishing on that side of the boat all night, man. What are you thinking? Just do it again. Okay. Throw it in. And notice, there were so many fish, and yet the net didn't break. Remember the first time in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they tried to pull it in, what happened? It was starting to break. There were so many fish. With Jesus directing the work, your resources won't be overstrained. For nothing in our lives, either individually or corporately together, is beyond Jesus' power and grace. To do Christian ministry in our own way is like fishing for Moby Dick with a Zebco Snoopy fishing rod that your dad gave you when you were three. No, we're going to do things God's way. And God finally rewards his people when we do things his way and in his timing. Look at verses 9 through 14 with me. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. (laughs) The reason that there's a mysterious air about this section is that it is figuratively a glimpse and a step into eternity for each one of us who place their trust in Jesus. It's a picture of you receiving your reward. You know, don't you love it? You know, Peter is a soaking wet mess. And never in this passage do you hear Jesus say, would you please get a towel and clean yourself up? He doesn't say that. He takes them right as they are, and he, and he says to them, bring some of the fish you got, guys. I got plenty here. Matter of fact, Jesus could have done the whole feast, right? But no, he, 
he honors what they've done as well. Alexander McLaren, the great Scottish preacher, said of this passage, All the details, such as the solid shore in contrast with the changeful sea, the increasing morning in contrast with the toilsome night, the feast prepared have been from of old consecrated to shadow forth the differences between earth and heaven. It would be blindness not to see here a prophecy of the glad hour when Christ shall welcome them home amid the brightness of the unsetting day, the souls that have served him amidst the fluctuation and storms of life, and seeing him in its darkness, and shall satisfy all their, their desires with the bread of heaven. It's just a great picture. Peter, you're fine, just as you are. You know, and <laughs> notice also in the passage, they couldn't haul all the fish in, so it's kind of a humorous picture. They just, all right, put the sail down, start to row, and they're dragging the net behind the boat. You know, and so Peter gets out, and they all drag the fish in, and, and Jesus says, yeah, don't worry about cleaning up, Peter. And, and your works, I'll, I'll take them. They're good. Even in that failed work, you know, you've been trying to witness to one of your friends and it hasn't gone well. That's okay. Jesus will take it. You know, you missed your, your, your Bible reading this morning, but you, you, you did a little bit last night. That's okay. That's good. He'll take it. He doesn't turn us away, dear friends. When we serve him in the dark sea and life of our age, the risen Lord Jesus wants us to focus on the fact that he is on the eternal shore in the everlasting light preparing a table for you. He wants us to know that our works that are done for him have eternal value. He encourages us to bring some of that catch. You know, you've been teaching Sunday school for 40 years. That's okay. Bring it. That's good stuff. I helped out around the grounds. That's okay. That's good stuff. It's for my kingdom. It's for my church. Jesus is teaching them and us that the believer's works are of value to him. No, they're not meritorious for our salvation, but they are evidence of it. And we should be walking in it because we're saved by grace and we're sanctified by grace. The tiniest work done for the Lord under his inspiration and direction is more enduring than the terminal tower. So, verse 12 concludes, they knew it was the Lord. Duh. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. Our reward is the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How are you, stands of the world? You've placed your trust in Jesus. You've attempted to walk with Him. You had some successes this week. You had some failures this week. All right. You got a feast waiting. Bring them. It's okay. It's good. And don't worry about getting cleaned up. Glad you're here. It's a good place to be. You can even wear your soccer uniform, kids, if you have to. Got a game at one? Fine. Come as you are.
or maybe you're a Jake this morning, you know you haven't been living for Christ. You know you should, but you don't. And you've been shirking your profession of faith. Well, Jesus says, come on. Haul that net. Grab the oar. Trust in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Let's go to work. He takes us as we are, and we walk in the grace of the sanctification that he gives us. Sanctification meaning being set apart. My friends, this is good news for every single one of us. And he's got a wonderful, eternal feast for each and every one of us as we seek to follow him, no matter where you are. So let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that no matter where we are, we can walk in the light of Jesus Christ, whether we had a, a Stan week or a Jake week, that we can be your people as we place our trust in you and you alone. For all us stands out there who have placed our trust in you, Lord, may this text encourage us so greatly and warm our hearts to the reality of your love for us. And for all the stands that are here this morning, for whatever reason, Lord, I pray they would see you for who you are. That you are God in Jesus. There was 153 fish. What do you think that means? That means it really happened. The detail is unparalleled. And Lord, you are God. And I have to change my life. Lord, I, I pray that those Jakes that are here this morning would do just that as they hear Jesus say to them, come, have some breakfast with me. I got some bread for you. I got some fish for you. And you've got some too. Why don't you bring them? I'll take them. That's good. Well done. Lord, may we recognize you as Lord once for all and for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.